Ted Strickland's Supreme Court pick, Bruner and Fisher debate, sort of, and the Ohio Tea Party rattles the system. These topics are more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the nationwide studio at WOSU at Coside, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Laura Bischoff, Statehouse reporter for the Dayton Daily News. Kathy Kandiski, Statehouse reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. Greg Haas, Democratic strategist. And Mark Weaver, Republican strategist. Governor Strickland raised a few eyebrows this week when he made his pick for the Ohio Supreme Court Chief Justice. The money was on an interim nonpartisan Chief Justice to fill the seat left behind by the late Tom Moyer. Instead, Strickland appointed the Democrat already running for the seat, Franklin County Probate Court Judge Eric Brown. Brown becomes the only Democrat on the court, and Strickland says we should not have been surprised. Uh, I think it was uh, logical and reasonable and, quite frankly, what should have been expected of me, having uh, already uh, indicated that I thought he was the best person to lead the court, that uh, given this um, uh, untimely opening, that I would appoint him. Laura Bischoff, the governor, pointed out that his Republican predecessors had done similar things with Republican justices. Yes, the um, Eve Stratton wa- uh, was appointed in March of '96 and was and then was elected in November of '96, and then Terrence O'Donnell, who lost in 2000 to Alice Roby Resnick, the last Democrat to serve on the court, um, was appointed in May of '03 and then won a special election in '04. Um, but I don't think it's ever happened with the chief justice before. Okay. Or where you were pitting one person against another person on the court and setting up what could be a very difficult conflict intra-court between Maureen O'Connor, who's running for chief justice, and Eric Brown, uh, particularly after the death of Chief Justice Celebrezzi a few weeks ago, where Ohioans who did not live through that period of scandal in the 80s were revisited and to see how difficult it can be when there's a partisan chief justice who's trying to use that court for his purposes. But O'Donnell sat with... Alice Roby Resnick on the same court after he was after appointed. After he did. But remember, O'Donnell was appointed in a non-election year. This is the uh-huh. governor choosing right well, they got a long election. okay, though, is what well, I'm saying. It's been a since we've had fist fights on the court. Well, yeah, I'm not sure thing. it'll be that thing. contentious. First of, all, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think we ought to, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that the governor's absolutely right. There should be no surprise here. He, he, he was behind and he backed Judge Brown as the candidate for chief justice because he felt he was the best person to take the job. That didn't just happen last week. That, w- that happened uh, at the beginning of the campaign. Uh, Judge Brown has an extensive record. Uh, he has a very good record. He has a great deal of t- trial experience. But what's most important, we've had a 7-0 court for a long time. It's about time that we have some voice from the outside to help balance things out. Uh, and there should be no surprise that the person that the governor selected was the person that he recruited to run for the job. Well, it would have been awkward had the governor not selected Judge Brown because then it would people would have been saying, well, doesn't doesn't the governor think he's he's good, right for the job? It would have been tough. It would have been a big slap in Judge Brown's face if he had endorsed him 10 weeks ago and then when the slot comes up says, 
No, I don't think you're really going to win. Now, the alternative, though, he could have found a retired judge. Absolutely. Th that would yeah. have been the alternative. A retired Democrat judge, because Greg, Greg makes a fair point. Yeah. It's certainly not surprising that a Democrat governor would appoint a Democrat. What, what, it wasn't surprising. What was political was the notion that he'd take somebody who the Columbus Dispatch says has a very thin resume, well. who the Columbus Bar Association has just an acceptable rating for, and put him at the top of the judiciary in Ohio when we're just a few months away from the voters choosing who will be the chief justice. Well, number one, Franklin County voters have spoken on, on a couple of occasions that they believe that Judge Brown is qualified for office um, and qualified. Uh, he has extensive trial experience as both a trial lawyer uh, and, he, and he has true uh, trial experience unlike some of the other judges and where they came from. Uh, the bottom line is, and I think you know the point was made earlier, that if you say that this is the best person for the job uh, in terms of the selection for a campaign, then that's the person that you send to fill the vacancy. This is not like the Attorney General's office when the, when the governor did appoint a nonpartisan to hold the seat. This is a seven-person judiciary. This is a seven-person uh, panel to have one voice on there, and the person that you said was the most qualified to me is absolutely the logical. Real Eric and the real ran, partisan Eric politics. Ran for office, because Greg makes a fair point, the voters of Franklin County did elect him. He specifically said, I will not seek the wow. Supreme Court. And so those same voters who put him on the probate bench in Franklin County relied on that, and what he's done is he's reneged on I that promise. Yeah, and I don't believe for a second that there were a whole lot of voters who voted based on that position, because frankly, I didn't hear it. Uh, I, uh, hear him but say it's true it, he but, said it, but, but, but it's but, true he's going back on it. Well, um, and he's not the first person to hold off. Make it right. Uh, yeah. Well, the real test is going to be how how he is on the bench these yeah. next few months. If if he starts making waves, if he starts making a lot of news, then we'll probably look back differently on the selection. But if he if he just you know is a is a is a placeholder here. I don't know that it's going to be such a bad thing. Mark, you pointed out the last time, you think you were on, that the Chief Justice appoints the staff and sets the direction of the court. What changes, if any, do you expect him to I'll do? Hope, I hope none. It's a very good court. It's a very nonpartisan, professional court with excellent staff members over there. Mm -hmm. And Chief Justice Moyer was respected around the nation for putting together a very professional staff. So I'd like to think that Eric Brown, who I know, is smart enough to go in there and not try to change the way that court is run. Only time will tell. He well, said he's not changing. Yeah, and, 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 and actually he already demonstrated as the probate judge that he wasn't going to make wholesale changes. And, and uh, I think that, you know, um, and, and, I, and, and I agree. While I had a lot of problems with a lot of the decisions and I felt that they were partisan uh, over the years, I thought Judge Moyer was an outstanding judge when it came to hiring people. I think that the people he put on there were, were very representative of the state and, and very balanced and, and I think should be commended for that. Uh, Eric Brown did say he looks forward to working with the staff that is there. It's not the same as saying I'm not going to bring in some of my own people, but at least he did say he would work with the staff that is there. Which name is stronger, Brown or O'Connor? O'Connor. I mean, Maureen O'Connor got mm. the more votes than Barack Obama in the 08 election. She's got, she got more votes than anybody else. And um, I think that there may be some confusion. People might think of her as Sandra Day O'Connor instead of Maureen O'Connor. And I think just a, a good Irish surname like that plays well. Well, she also was elected countywide in Summit County, where she had been the prosecutor there. She was elected statewide as lieutenant governor and then in the Supreme Court. So she has more, more exposure. This particular O'Connor has more exposure to Ohio voters than this particular Brown. But Brown will help. Brown doesn't Absolutely. Uh, and it really doesn't matter. Because even if Judge Brown or Justice Chief Justice, Interim Chief Justice Brown loses, likely he is going to be the pick 
if he because he would fill O'Connor's seat. Right. Well, I don't. You know, I don't know if that's so sure. I mean, they say there's no deal and, and this and that. I don't know to, whether to to uh, take that to the bank. But um, you know, if the voters say no to Eric Brown, and then the governor turns around and appoints him to another seat, it looks kind of bad. Number one, and plus, there's probably a whole slew of other candidates who might not make it through the uh, the election season who Strickland may want to. You know, well, elevate yeah. to the to the court. I, I mean, I, I don't believe for a second that there's a deal. I think uh, that any decision would be made would be how Judge Brown handles himself as as justice and and the outcome of the election uh, and and how how he conducts himself as a candidate. And I'm very confident he'll do a great job. Uh, but first of all, the first point is, you know, nobody's think, talking about a deal because we're playing to win, uh, just like they're playing to win. And and you really. You know, when, when you're when you're supporting a candidate, and 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 as as the governor's obviously supporting Judge Brown, um, you know, there's no reason to think ahead. There's no reason to think about a deal because I think there's a great deal of confidence uh, in Judge Brown and in his electability. Okay, let's get to our next topic. While the Supreme Court prompted some political fighting words, the debate between Lee Fisher and Jennifer Bruner really did not. The Democrats running for U.S. Senate only took a couple of gentle swipes at each other while making their case why they should be the one to take on Republican Rob Portman. The message I would send is that we cannot afford at this critical moment in the lives of our families and children to return to the same people and the same policies that ran up our national debt, that enforced and crafted trade policies that shipped jobs to China and India, and they gave tax cuts to the wealthiest among us but ignored the larger middle class. In the end, voters want someone who they can trust. They want someone who will be honest with them. They even is, is willing to stand up for things that may be unpopular but is abiding by their principles and their values. When voters feel that someone will be honest with them and will work very, very hard for them, they're going to be happy with them no matter where they're coming from. Greg, how's this debate? at the Cleveland City Club reflected the campaign. Yeah. Pretty tame. Yeah, pretty tame. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've really done a good job of avoiding offending any, any friends on either side. I've got a lot of friends for both of them, but I think I probably am now. In, in, in you know, in, when you're caught up in a campaign, you feel like, boy, my candidate did a great job. And, and they both did a good job. But, but, you know, there weren't a lot of sparks. And that tends to happen when campaigns, you know, this was a debate that was much more about who's the better candidate in the fall. Who's, who's the better candidate to run against Portman? The, there wasn't a lot that they could exchange a, around the issues because there isn't a great deal of difference between the two on, on all of the, uh, the critical issues. Uh, so it was really one of those things about, look, I'm the better person to elect for the, you know, uh, in, in terms of the fall, and that, that that creates some problems. You always know that a debate is is a, a, a little bit slow and without sparks when the best questions come uh, in the Q&A uh, afterwards. <laughs> well, um, one of the problems for Jennifer Bruder was because it was a debate with that many sparks, she drew attention to something that was non-substantive and I don't think was a winning issue for her was her comment that she was mad that Lee Fisher called her Jennifer by her first name instead of her title, which most voters don't think that's particularly important. They'd rather Would women hear voters about. think that's important? And I don't know because it came out apparently that many times she's also called him Lee. And so that same news cycle, that came out, and it came off as more of a stunt than anything else. Mm -hmm. If I were advising her, which of course I'm not, I'd have said try to make your news on a more substantive issue than this notion of somehow calling her Jennifer is sexist. I, I have to agree with that. I mean, I, I, it, it just it seemed petty. She's, her message was, I'm the independent. Lee Fisher's message was, I'm the best candidate to beat Rob Portman. And he really went after Rob Portman more than he did Jennifer Brunner in that debate. 
Which works better for Democratic voters? This race is still tight. This race is tight, and you have to wonder when somebody's <coughs> going to bust a move, when somebody's going to try and, you know, kind of draw some attention to themselves. I don't know. I guess we're a month out. Well, yeah. No, we're just three like weeks. two and a half weeks, three you weeks. You know, yeah. and, and uh, if you compare it to a sporting event, it's a little bit like the Duke-Baylor uh, game or uh, Butler. Butler game. You know, it, it, it Duke should have wrapped it up early. They mm -hmm. should have put their opponent away early. That hasn't happened. Uh, we're coming down the stretch, and there still is a race. Uh, Jennifer hasn't been put away yet, um, and and so you know when when you're hanging around and you think that the, the thing's going to be solved pretty early and, and settled pretty early, and it doesn't, you have to you have to wonder if you're not going to see you know an upset. I mean, I, I I'm not predicting that at any any stretch, but. But Lee it's has not put her away. <laughs> it's it's yeah. really up in the air because I think uh, the last Quinnipiac poll showed that 40, 40, 41 percent of voters were undecided. These are the like the likely primary voters, yeah. the ones most tuned in. They're undecided, and a lot of them don't know who the candidates are. They don't know much about. Even though Lee Fisher has been around statewide politics since nineteen ninety for two decades, and Jennifer's been around. You know, it ran a high, very high profile presidential election as Secretary of State. Um, you know, they, it's up in the air. He's running an ad. Lee Fisher started yeah. running an ad this week. Positive ad. Doesn't take on Jennifer Bruner at all. It's like a, you know, introduce me ad. Thoughts on that? Will it help him in the primary? Absolutely. I mean, anytime you can go on the air and your opponent can't, I mean, it's a very good thing. And I think when you get to the idea of the, the, the you know, Lee's potential to close this race out victoriously, it has to do with him being on TV and her not. He, uh, Greg's exactly right. I didn't think it was a particularly strong ad, but I'll take gross rating points against no gross rating points any day. And so it's got to be killing her that he's on the air and she's not. And if she does not get on the air, she won't be able to catch up. You know, and y they have to be, I know they don't like to say they're looking ahead to November, but, you know, Portman's got a boatload of money. He's got 7.6 million. Fisher though. to blow through a lot of his money now in the primary, I mean, he'll, I, I'm sure it'll come, but he's going to have a lot of work to do after May if he prevails. Yeah, but I also, I'll tell you, I mean, in terms of framing a race, in terms of beginning the race, I mean, I, and Mark and I have talked about this, you know, before about early expenditures of TV money, it's not like it used to be. Um, things are much more spread out. You have to dilute your dollars uh, a lot more and, and lead to some degree. I mean, this money is just not going up in a vacuum. I mean, he is framing some of the race for the fall. So Actually, his ad could have been, it, it could be yeah. run against Portman. Well, I think it's that, very that generic. Very, yeah, that was a very smart move on their part. His ad, one real quick question. Oh, uh, Greg, his ad is touting job creation efforts. Yeah. Does that work? 11% like uh, unemployment? Yeah, well, um, um, you know, that'd be a no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's tough. I mean, I think it's tough. It's a problem I mean. when you're the incumbent and you're arguing yeah. for change, and and Ted, both Ted Strickland and Lee Fisher yeah. are going to have to find you know deal with that problem this year because Strickland must argue for change because it's a change-oriented election. But when you've been the governor for four years, it's a stretch. Lee Fisher claims that it's the Bush administration and Wall Street that's caused the, the can only get so far on that, that old news. Voters leadership. will hold the current incumbents. Well, well, but I, on I, the other I, hand, what else is he supposed to talk about? Well, I mean, jobs is what everybody wants, yeah. everybody's concerned about. So, I, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear yeah. that's what he's talking about. The trick is, as you mentioned, distancing himself from the current administration somehow to show that he's going to be that change. Well, I, I think, you know, no, you're right. You're, I mean, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's just, the, it's just the taking the jobs on directly, coming right out of the box. To me, the, the message for the governor and the message for, for Lee, if he's the candidate in the fall, is about, hey, we're finally moving on the right track. Things are looking ahead in Ohio, or, or look, looking better in Ohio. We've turned the corner. 
no, no one's going to buy that you know the, in, in Ohio that we've suddenly turned everything around and 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 things are rosy. Um, but but if they can establish the point that it's like, look, here are the good signs. Here's what's happening. Here's how things are changing, and relate that to voters. Uh, they can be successful, but but uh, the, but if you go too hard and too direct on the jobs issue, people aren't. I mean, no, there is a problem. Tough with I think today's unemployment number. Yeah, you yeah. Know, we picked up to eleven percent. Yeah. Speaking of hard and direct, this was a big week for the folks who say they are taxed enough already. The Tea Party. This was tax week after all, and the Tea Party held April fifteenth rallies across the country, including one here in Columbus. The fiscal conservatives, who are still under the Republican umbrella, are causing trouble. Some GOP, in some GOP primaries, namely the contest for state auditor, secretary of state, and the congressional primary in Zach Space's district. Mark Weaver, an anti-tax rally, conservative activists, yet there were no big-name Republicans there. Why not? Well, I think they invited this, in Columbus this year, they invited politicians to speak on certain topics, and those politicians chose not to. But as a whole, it's good for our party. When you look back over this past week, hundreds of thousands of Americans turned out and partied like it was 1773. They wanted to remind politicians that there's when voters get angry, they can take action. Sometimes mm -hmm. voters get angry and do nothing. This last year, we've seen voters stepping out and saying, spending too much, taxing too much, we want change. And it's not just this astroturf movement that Nancy Pelosi labeled it. These are people of all walks of life. There's a great tube inter uh, YouTube internet clip I saw today where a reporter says to an African-American man at a tea party, aren't you uncomfortable being at a tea party? You're African-American. And he had a great quote. He said, these are my people, Americans. But why wasn't John Kasich partying with them? Oh, and actually John Kasich, I think, was at an event in Cincinnati, but yeah. I think he was invited to speak on a particular topic, and most politicians would rather give their overall stump speech. But no doubt, those people who showed up at those rallies, they're Kasich voters. It was different than last year, though. I mean, last year they had a lot of the candidates, a lot of the politicians courted the Tea Party, and this year they weren't there. And not just here in Ohio, Washington, everywhere, they weren't there. And I don't I, think and I don't think it's fair to assume that those voters are John Kasich voters at this point, and 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 to the degree w with which they're going to participate. I think. I mean, I don't. I would not take them for granted. I would not assume that we know exactly where they're going to go at this point. I think that, uh, and I also think that that the anger that you, that you talked about is not just about government. And th this is the tricky part and where it gets complex. They're angry, and one of the big motivations for them was the bailout originally. And, and they're angry at corporate welfare. They're angry at, at, at corporate greed. So there's a, there's a very mixed message within this crowd that, we can't, that I don't think we can put into any kind of easy formula and assume that they're going to go in any one direction. Laura, you were going to say uh, Well, I was going to say, it seems to me like the Tea Party is sort of pulling the Republicans to the right a bit that they're and they're they're because it's loosely it's not even really centrally organized it's very loose it's very unpredictable and so you don't I don't think the the mainstream politicians really know what they're going to get when they stand up in front of a crowd of you know several thousand Tea Especially Party the people. moderate Republicans I, I think they don't know what to expect exactly mm -hmm. well, what happens after the primary say a more moderate Republican wins the primary what do these Tea Party activists Abandon this Republican in name only, the rhinos they call them. Mark, do they, is there any concern of that? Do they break off into a third party? I don't candidacy? think there'll be a third party, but Republicans have fractures within their party the way the Democrats do. You know, the Democrats, there's fractures on the left edge of the party, on the Republicans, there's fractures on the right edge of the party. And each party struggles with its identity as that happens. It's a healthy process if more people get involved. 
But if somebody splits off, that can only hurt the Republican Party. I think that's right. But, but we, you know, because we saw, for example, Ross Perot yeah. and his his impact on the presidential election in 1996. I don't think you're going to see that coming. I up think now. polls have shown most of the people that affiliate themselves with the Tea Party voted for Republican John McCain in the last presidential election. Um, is the Tea Party responsible for the growth in Republicans registering to vote in this primary? You think they just the sort of fervor over it, or is it just? There's, we're seeing more intensity on the Republican side than the Democrat side. The, 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 a lot of these folks are coming back from having switched over into what Rush Limbaugh called Operation Chaos mm -hmm. to vote for uh, the Hillary the Democrat in the primary, exactly, yeah. and the Hillary in the primary back in '08. Uh, so some of that is coming on, but polling shows there's more intensity on the Republican side. The way. The same polling showed more intensity on the Democrat side in 2008. Are Democrats secretly rooting for the Tea Party, Greg? Well, I, I think you know we're looking at it in the same <laughs> way um, you know that some of the you know Republicans in the 80s looked at a lot of the activism that was happening on the far left um, with, a, with maybe with a dose of that. But but I think the the bigger thing is, as I said earlier, I just don't I don't think that you 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 can predict exactly the way that this this movement is going to play out. I don't think that the, that you can make assumptions. Yes, they voted for John McCain in the last election. But they did so holding their nose, and they did so with with somebody who had unfairly been labeled a socialist. Um, where they go in, in in future elections and how they uh, handle um, that, I, I'm just I, I just don't think at this point you can make any assumptions, and I don't think from our end we can assume you know that it's going to be beneficial in any way. Okay. But, you know the places to watch are going to be that state auditor's race, the Republican primary for state auditor, and the, the uh, Secretary of State. See how many how the votes go on those. Those will be real telling, I think. Okay. Our last topic, perhaps using President Obama's health care strategy as an example. Governor Strickland is throwing bipartisanship onto the tracks when it comes to passenger rail. Strickland reportedly will ask the state controlling board, that's the legislative body that approves state spending, to spend the twenty-five million federal dollars to do further studies on restoring a passenger rail in Ohio. Strickland has the votes on the board for this spending but he would need at least one Republican vote on the board to authorize the entire project. Kathy Kandinsky, in the long run, does this help or hurt his effort to bring, to f he needs Republican votes, does it help or hurt his effort to get rail here in Ohio? Well, the first thing I think is that he, he needs the study. They need to do the study to move forward. So the study has to be done, but in the long term, this is an issue that the Republicans are, ha you know, the Republicans a lot are, a lot of them are opposing big spending, big debt on future generations, et cetera, et cetera. So if it appears, you give the appearance that the Democrats are just ramming it through, it could cause a lot of backlash in November for the Democrats, for the governor, I think. And maybe the study, if it's, you know, well done and, and um, credible, it will convince somebody else to say, well, all right, let's move forward with it. If or maybe they're going to say, forget it, we don't want Unless the study can get the trains to move faster than 49, 49 miles per hour, this this is dead. And I'd like to say, I finally figured out why we talk about this topic so much on this show. It's because of all the railroad metaphors that Mike can use in the setup <laughs> question. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the dancers for democracy. It's a, it's a <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. Well, you know, one thing, I mean, I, I, I'm... The $24 million to study this, why Why people are, you know, we would make an assumption without moving ahead, without studying it, without looking at it more carefully. And, and I, you know, my, I tend to think there's, there's a point to the 49 miles an hour. Um, but, you know, thank God, I mean, in the past when 
when we created a canal system in this state, when we created the railroad structure in the first place, the, the highway system, we had all kinds of questions. We had all kinds of doubts. There were plenty of nattering nabobs of negativity about those things. The idea is that, that if we're going to move ahead, you know, we need to be thorough, study it. I think the, the point is, let's see what that study says and see if we can't get one, one Republican to, to break ranks with the Nattery Nabobs. What, the study's gonna, it's not gonna be a high-speed rail. It's gonna be relatively slow at regular speed. But what if the study, Mark, says that it's gonna create 20,000 jobs? We just had a casino approved after being rejected several yeah. times because of the jobs, but... Yeah, I'd like to see the study. Government doesn't create jobs. The private sector creates jobs. And in order for the private sector to create jobs, there has to be demand. So absent demand, jobs can't be created unless we're taxing one person to pay another person's salary. And I'd be interested to see how a study could say that jobs would be created. And are those 20,000 jobs or whatever is going to be created, are those just the construction jobs yeah. to, to upgrade the rail and build the stations and... or? Are these supposed to be the long-term jobs? rail company jobs. The, the original study had and rail company jobs, like train manufacturers, that kind of thing. And the point is, without the study, all these are legitimate questions, but we don't know, you know? I mean, and, and, and I think that, that that's the point. Okay. They need the study. Yeah. Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions for the weeks ahead. Mark Weaver, we'll start with you. Thirty-five years ago, I went into the State House in Pennsylvania to be part of youth and government, which was my first interest in getting involved in government, and look what happened since then. And this weekend, weekend in Ohio, hundreds of kids from all around the state are in the State House acting that out. One of them is my daughter, a freshman, who's in the House of Representatives. So my prediction is many good kids will be turned on to government and get in both the Republican and Democratic Party moving forward from this program. She's a Democrat, right? Of course not. <laughs> Greg? Um, my prediction is uh, along the lines of something Kathy talked about earlier in the show. I think um, in the next month we're going to see a whole lot of evidence about the strength of the Tea Partiers and the strength of their vote, not just in those primaries though, but in issue one in which they've, they've, they've spoken out against. Third uh, frontier. Yeah, the, the third frontier proposal. Let's see what, uh, let's see what happens in, in this primary because I'm, I'm easily, I'm predicting that I think issue one and issue two will both pass easily um, and, and we'll have a much better test uh, of, of where they're at. Issue two is the casino move question. Go ahead, Kathy. Well, I'm going to predict who's not going to be a judge later this year. Uh, there's been some talk this week about Rich Cordray. <laughs> Don't think so. And there's also been some talk about Jennifer Bruner, should she not prevail in the primary. Talk that they would be U.S. Supreme Court That justices. they would become justices or, or on the, the Ohio Supreme Ohio Court. Supreme Court. Um, I'll predict that there's not going to be any drama or fisticuffs on the Supreme Court wi with Eric Brown um, in there for the next couple months. I think that uh, <laughs> he'll be busy getting his sea legs and doing the administrative stuff and campaigning for Plus, a statewide office. He's a big guy. I don't think you want to mess with Eric Brown size-wise. No, I think they're all, you know, they're all professionals, and I think yeah. they'll just you know, operate okay. the third branch. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Check out our website. There you can get a preview of the topics we're going to discuss, also streaming video of each and every episode. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.